Hello and welcome back to My Pastor Says, the show that is all about you and your questions about God, the Bible, and life in general. I am your host, Dave Atherton. I'm the lead pastor at Aviator Church in Derby, Kansas, uh, and we are so grateful that you are back here for another week of the show. If you would like to have one of your questions answered on a later episode of the show, please send an email to dave at aviatorchurch.com. Again, dave at aviatorchurch.com and put in the subject line, My Pastor Says. I would love to answer your deepest burning questions on a later episode. As we get ready to start today, I want to start by telling you that this is the very first episode where I will be joined in studio with a live guest. Uh, It's a man who uh, I would call a brother from another mother, except that we're actually from the same mother. Uh, Today I'm joined in studio by Matt Atherton, uh, who is not only my brother, but is actually super qualified to answer uh, some of the questions that I've been getting um, into my email and also in the lobby at church on Sundays. Um, And we're going to be answering questions that pertain to the topic of worship. So Matthew, my brother, for those of you who don't know, has been a worship pastor for about 20 years now. 20 years. Right on. Um, At a handful of churches. Uh, In addition to that, he's given me uh, two pretty awesome nephews and a beautiful niece. Um, and, And obviously we have a relationship that goes way back, uh, like all the way to when I was in diapers. So, Unfortunately. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So anyways, uh, I, as I, I guess maybe let's just start, Matt. Um, there's a brief introduction, but why don't you tell everyone kind of your history and your experience in leading worship ministry uh, professionally? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm actually married. My, I'm married to my wife, Lisa. Lisa and I met in college. Uh, like you said, we have three kids. My oldest son, Levi, is a sophomore in high school. Um, my middle son, Asa, is a fifth grader, and then my daughter, Sadie, is a third grader. Uh, we are at Cross Point Church in Hutchinson, Kansas. Um, I work here with Andy Addis. Andy, who's our lead pastor, Andy and I were actually uh, became friends when I was in seminary uh, 20 years ago, and, and he was pastoring a church in Fort Worth, and he actually hired me for my uh, my first job as a worship pastor. Andy hired me at Handley Baptist Church in Fort Worth so many years ago. Uh, we worked there together for three years. Um, he came back to Kansas at the time. I could not fathom why he would come back to Kansas, um, but uh Against my arguments, he did, and I suppose that has worked out pretty well for uh, him and for well for all of us. Um, I was in Texas a couple more years, and then we moved to Northern California, where I served a church in Northern California for eight years. Then we had a quick stopover in Denver. Uh, we were there for a little over a year, and then Andy called me, um, and I've been the uh, worship pastor at Cross Point Hutchinson Campus. Uh, for the past six years. And I imagine that he made you uh, eat your words about moving to Kansas he at that point? He absolutely made me eat my words, and I, I had to. Uh, I, I used to tease him relentlessly about the fact that I needed to live for all of my international travels, you know, uh, no more than a half an hour away from an international <laughs> airport, and he's made me eat those uh, words yeah. uh, on more than one occasion. Yeah, definitely not one of those in Hutchinson, for sure. Uh, no, surely not. So uh, I am asking you this question as a pastor. It's something that I've been asked a couple times by church members. Now, as the lead pastor at a church, I obviously do the heavy lifting. I have the, oh my I have the important work of, of teaching the people uh, the Word of God. But you, as a music guy, um, have 
I guess a role too, right? Um, <laughs> just kidding. No. So, so you know, that is kind of the funny thing. You know, I, I joke with Matt a lot um, about all you do is play the same songs over again. How hard is your job? But, um, but obviously, you know, being a music guy and being a worship guy are two very different sure. things. And so sure. um, some of the questions that I've gotten, again, in the lobby and then in the email have to do with really this idea of worship. Um, some people, <laughs> I actually had somebody say just this last week of like, I really like coming to church, but I don't like the singing part. <laughs> um, like, that, you know, some people, I guess, sure. are curious. Initially, why do we do worship in the, in the well, the worship service? Sure. So there is um, a thing that happens um, it's really kind of in the way that God uh, organized uh, the economy of this world. There's a thing that happens when God's people get together and extol his virtues, uh, sing of his praises, right? And so um, part of the reason that we do that is because, well, number one, the Bible tells us to, right? Do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. And when we do that, we are to encourage each other with <coughs> psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so if the Bible tells us to do it, our response is obedience, right? That's what we should do. And Generally, then we've got to find, anyways. well, hopefully, right? <laughs> we've got to find the best way possible to do that. So as we worship, uh, it encourages our spirit. It um, it uh, edifies the body. Um, it tells who we believe Jesus to be to the lost world. So those are things that are that are important for us. So you, you bring up ourselves, you know, the body, the the lost world. Um it's hard for me, I guess, to see kind of, I would say, to, to the idea of the lost. Like if I'm teaching or whatever, I'm, I'm out there preaching, talking to people. Um, how does worship reach the lost world? So let me actually, um, that's a great question. I'm actually going to back it up a little bit okay. and, and talk about kind of my philosophy of worship. And then I think your the answer to that question will fit into this. Right my very first day at seminary, I walked into philosophy of church music. and uh, That I sounds still, like a riveting class. It was, it was, it was a riveting class. Um, my professor, uh, Stan Moore, I don't know why I remember that, but I remember he wrote three words up on the board. He wrote, he wrote worship, nurture, and outreach. And what he said was, that that any high functioning music ministry in a church has to have all three of these things in order to to be operating uh, the way that it should be and to be operating biblically. And we spent legitimately the next six weeks talking about that. And I'm going to try to condense those six weeks down into what like five minutes here. Yeah, I think our listeners would appreciate. Yeah, that. sure. Um, he's he called worship ministry to God, and honestly, I'd never really thought of it in those terms before. Right, so. Um, my feeling on God was that God is not served by human hands, right? Sure. And so, like, how does that work? And as we went on to discuss it, if I'm being really honest, I never really understood it firmly. I, I had a concept of it in seminary until I had kids. So you have kids, uh, right, mm -hmm. uh, my nephews, and and you would agree with this, I think, that there is no way to bless a parent more than to bless that parent's kids, Right. So like if you really want to honor me, you take care of my kids. Sure. Um, and there is a there's a a, a, a a deep honor felt there when somebody is good to my kids. Man, it, it it is important to me. And he described worship kind of in those terms. What he said is the heart of the of God, the father explodes in joy when when we honor the son. Hmm. And, and in that way, what we do in worship is ministry to God. And, I, man, I really had never thought of it in those terms before. But And it was a challenging thought, but I think it's a good thought. 
when we exalt the name of Christ, when we remember what he did for us on the cross, the way he sacrificed himself on our behalf, Second uh, Corinthians says that he took right our sin in his body on the tree that we might become the righteousness of God. When we, when we honor that, when we remember that and worship, the heart of God the Father explodes in joy. And so that was what he talked about worship being. Well, then he also talked about nurture, and this is what he said, and, and this is what the point that he was making, was that most people will never sit down and read a systematic theology textbook. Um, lots of times the theology that people remember is from the songs that they sing. Songs have this way of doing it, right? Anybody who's ever gotten a song stuck in their head would argue that this is um, true. Um, the other day we were driving to Levi's football game and my kids in the back seat were doing the dun 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 like for 45 minutes. Obviously well-known song for theology. Absolutely. But it was it's a great illustration of how a song gets stuck in your head and you it's like you can't, you can't not hum it. You can't not yeah. sing it. And so what his point was, and, and I agree with this, <laughs> this idea, is that when we teach songs, we need to make sure, absolutely sure, that the text that they teach is substance and mm. not just filler. Right? So um, there have been a couple of songs. We do a song uh, here. We just started it at Crosspoint called uh, Nothing But the Blood, and it's it's not the hymn. It's, it's it uses the text from the chorus of the hymn, but then it, it it's it's other words and the verses, and it's not the most easy song to sing, but textually it is so rich, and we do that song not because it's some great sing along song, but because it teaches what happened at the atonement, and we need to we need to do that. We need to challenge our people with songs that. Um, that yes, they love to sing, but that also teach them really good theology. So that was the, you know, you have worship piece, the nurture piece, and then the outreach piece, which was the initial question right. we asked. Every once in a while, um, I'll have a conversation with someone. So uh, by way of uh, just information, Crosspoint, we, we really strive and work hard to do modern worship, right? We, will, we really want what we do to be a modern artistic expression. So... Every once in a while, people will ask me why the lights, why the, the they always call it that rock music, right? <laughs> like, like, like we're playing. I, just sorry, just as like your brother seeing something. seeing you on an acoustic guitar is not what I <laughs> right. didn't think of when That's I think rock. Music. It's always kind of a weird thing for me because I'm like, this is definitely not rock music, yeah. but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, why that music? Why is it loud? Why are we doing all these things? And, and here's here's the thing: historically, throughout the history of the church. Art and and culture and the church were so intricately woven together. If you look back at all of the great cathedrals in Europe, these models of architecture and the way that they're tied in, right? So all of the great artists, the great songwriters, everything was centered around the church. And then we have this period of history where like church and modern artistic expression separated. I think in America has really had to do with the Great Awakening, right? That we're gonna, we're not, we're gonna be uh, not of the world, which set is apart. Fi- yeah, yeah, which is fine, and I think that there's, there's good theological reason for that. But what happened as a result is the church became very stagnated as it relates to their ability to interact with modern culture, and and so what we want to do instead of that is we want to use the tools that modern culture has available. But we want to redeem those uh, 
uh, and use them to tell the story of the gospel. So what we want to do is what Paul did, right? If you read through the book of Acts, all of Paul's missionary journeys, he was such so good at contextualizing the gospel based on the different cities that he went to. He would figure out what made the, the cities work, and then he would preach the gospel from that perspective. And so we want to use modern culture, modern uh, tools. And, well, here, here's a great example. We're doing a podcast Right, that's a modern tool yeah. that we're you we're redeeming, right? Trying to redeem to tell the story of the gospel. So that's what we want to do. Uh, we want to use uh, modern tools. Um, now, what that doesn't mean is the culture does not dictate the gospel. We we are we are tight fisted on our theology, but open handed in our methodology. Right. So mm-hmm. we're willing to use any method we can get our hands on to tell the gospel. So when somebody comes in, we want to communicate to them in a way that is going to be impactful to them if they've never been in church before. Mm. And what we're trusting is that the people who are believers already have enough of an understanding that our our goal is to proclaim the gospel on Sundays that they're going to be um, generous towards others and be willing to lay aside even some of their own preferences for the good of the people who have not heard the gospel before. Uh, I guess that makes a lot of sense. I actually last week was uh, walking around the Kansas Fair, um, and they do the concerts every week, you know, sure. uh, or every night. And and I was there, and I was hearing this booming music, and I asked somebody standing by me, I said, who's the concert tonight? And they said, Hanson. <laughs> I was like, like, I'm sorry, Hanson, like from my childhood with the three blonde kids, and like, yeah, and and anyways, Hanson had a packed house, man, at the concert, and and really, you know, I guess that's I never thought about it in terms of that of, of the methodology being open while the theology changes, but I mean, Hanson packs the place out with with cool lights and big music and and whatever, um, and man, how silly it would be for Hanson to have a packed show and for the church to sit empty. Oh man. Is devastating. There is the church, in my opinion, should never stop searching for creative ways to tell the story of the gospel. Hmm. Now, the story doesn't change. Doesn't. We're always going to preach Christ crucified. If we preach any other thing, that is not the gospel, and 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 that is not acceptable. But the way we tell that story should change as culture changes. We ought to always be contextualizing the gospel. So let me ask you this then. Um, with with Aviator uh, Church currently, um, we are doing this, well, we just actually finished, but I've uh, been doing this Luglow series, we've been calling it, that's Love God, Love Others. Yeah, I've been uh, following it. Yeah, you, you yeah. might have uh, heard that from the Bible. Um, so anyways, uh, as we've been doing this Luglow, when we talk about loving God, um, we, we talk about... Uh, learning who God is and then responding to who God is. Sure. Um, and for me, that's my very elementary definition of worship. Um, and so I guess my my question is, and and this may be, uh, we we didn't discuss this one in the uh, pre-show discussion, pre-podcast meeting. Yeah, look at me, guys. I'm putting them on point here. Um, but for somebody who walks in, like you, obviously are very musically talented. Um, I am okay at singing sometimes. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, you know, but there's, I, I've also watched, you know, people, people, some walk in and when worship starts, man, their hands go up in the air, sure. Shawshank Redemption style, they're belting right. it out. Um, and then there's some people who just look angry to be alive, <laughs> um, who have sure. no interest sure. in singing. Um, yes. They're the people who obviously don't get into the shower and start singing into the, right. into the water. So right. for people who are not, 
typically prone to maybe engaging in worship in what we think of in the traditional sense in the church. Do you have any tips, pointers, thoughts um, for, for those people on how they can engage in that process of learning and responding um, if maybe singing is not their thing? Sure. So I'll tell you how I dealt with this a number of years personally. Um, anybody that knows our family knows that we're all huge Denver Broncos fans, mm-hmm. right? And so... Um, Even I, this year, when they're really terrible. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, we we cheer for the, the, the jersey, for sure. And so um, when we lived in Denver, I took uh, one of my kids. I, I've taken all of them to a game. So I took one of the kids, I don't remember which, which time it was, to a game. And they do the pregame thing. So if you've ever been to a Broncos game, right, they, the, they, they, they fly in on parachutes. Yeah. They do the whole thing. And the, the whole pregame ceremony is kind of rote, but it's pretty spectacular, honestly. And it, it, is, it is intended to whip up the crowd into a frenzy so that they will yell really loud on third down plays. Right. right. That's, what, yeah. that's what's going on. But I remember during the national anthem, I'm standing there and like I just had this sense of awe. And I, I, I don't mean to be overly dramatic about it, but like I got teary standing there. And then like I'm having this moment, and then in the back of my head, I really sense the Holy Spirit saying, Why does it not like this when you worship me? And I hmm. was so convicted. And I remember that day going, Oh my gosh. Like, why is it not? Why is it that I'm standing here for a football game? Like legitimately, legitimately that day, my the goodness or badness of my day was determined by like twenty eight year old dudes running around on a football field. Right, that's stupid. Yeah, like like in it's, in it's yeah that's objectively yeah, dumb. Yeah, yeah. that's a, just just dumb. Now I I love the Broncos, but my gosh, I'm willing to to yell my voice hoarse at a Broncos game, mm. but not willing to raise my hand. Like why? What is going on inside of me that is so calloused? Mm. And I think it really comes down to the fact that we have stopped seeing God in our everyday lives. Like we, we, we either don't study to know more about him, we fail to see, because it's not in a huge stadium full of people, right. it's in our individual lives. God loves us individually, right? So we have to do a better job of recognizing his provision for us in our everyday lives, that he cares for us, remembering the fact that we are busted sinners before a holy God, and only because of what Jesus did on the cross do we have any any hope. If we will operate in that mindset more often, then when we come to worship, the overflow of that mindset is gratitude, hmm. and it has to be practiced. Nobody falls into holiness, right? right? Nobody falls into gratitude. It is something you have to be aware of, you have to work towards, and so... I would say, you know, if you're like, well, I don't, I don't love worship. I don't, are you practicing it? Hmm. Like, I know that sounds crazy. People like practice worship. What are you talking about? Like there has to be a thing, something that, that stirs your affection for Christ. Hmm. You have to find that. And it may not be corporate singing. Here's the truth of the matter. Even though I'm a music guy, I would much rather listen to great preaching than great music. It's Hmm. just personal, right? That's why you enjoy being around me so much. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, but but you have to find that thing that stirs your affection for Christ. You have to practice that thing often. And then when you come into the worship service, there should be an, a, a gratitude that overflows out of the heart because of that. Hmm. But here's the thing. You're never going to find that, like, ignoring God 
Monday to Saturday and then coming in Sunday and expecting to find some thing. Yeah. This is not going to work that way. Well, and on the idea of, of trying not to ignore God, I know one of the things, uh, you mentioned Andy earlier, I'll mention him now, because uh, for anyone who's not aware, I've actually also been on staff with Matt and Andy. Um, not currently, but um, Andy always says a thing where if you're trying to decide, you know, if God's real or not or whatever, then wake up every day and pray this prayer, God, if you're there, show me. Right. God, if you're there, show me. And and really what he's what he's challenging people to do then is to train their eyes to be looking. To see. You yeah. know, um, the the thing out of the Bible that always jumps out and it hit me, I did, I did the book of Numbers with my youth group, um, yeah. which was... Risky, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, I did the book of Numbers, and in the book of Numbers, the thing that that really caught me um, was that was where the the prophecy of the star that you know the Christmas star, the star sure. of Bethlehem, um, that was where that prophecy came from. Uh, and so uh, these three, you know, wise or not three, but whatever, the wise men from the east, the Magi, um, they looked for that star every day. Like that was part of their routine. They were constantly looking up to see if that star was there. When that star came, or when that star appeared, they saw it. They saw it and they took off. And when they got there to Jerusalem and they they come upon all the religious leaders, like, hey, we saw the star. Uh, and Herod looks at the the Jewish leaders and says, where's the star supposed to be? And they're like, over Bethlehem. Like, they knew where it was supposed to be. They lived 15 miles from where it was, and they never saw the dumb thing. Yeah. And the difference was not, you know, intelligence. It was some people were looking and some people weren't. That's right. So training yourself to be looking for God throughout the regular day, I think, is really a powerful tip. So um, we usually try to keep this thing around 20 minutes, give or take, so I imagine we're getting pretty close to time. Um, so is there anything, uh, any other worship tips, thoughts, advice, um, you know, that you would like to pass on to the people before we sign off. I think one last thing I would offer um, specifically <coughs> to men, um, be willing to engage in worship. It's a great model for your family, hmm. right? So when your kids see you worship, you, if, you, if, if you want to change the culture of worship in your church, be willing to worship expressively and see if your kids and family don't follow. They hmm. will. And so... Um, Boy, I just think if we could get men to be the leaders in that, I think we probably would start to see a real difference in the way that the church approaches worship. Right on. All right, very cool. Uh, so this has been your several questions on worship version of the show. Um, just like I said at the beginning, uh, if you would like to have one of your questions answered on a later episode, um, we would love to do that. And so if you will submit those questions in to Dave at aviatorchurch.com. Again, Dave at aviatorchurch.com. Uh, and it will help me if you will put in the heading, my pastor says, so I can search out by the questions. Um, you know, we love tackling these sorts of issues, these types of questions, because ultimately this whole podcast was started so that we would be pursuing God outside of the walls of the church on a Sunday morning. So we thank you for joining us here on a Thursday or whenever it is that you're listening. And we look forward to seeing you back again next week on My Pastor Says.